0: Tommy. We'll talk about John the Baptist today, as Kathleen said, Um, but why are we doing that? Well, I'll tell you, the Bible says that he's important, so I believe it, and that settles it. Uh, The Bible says he's important in a number of ways, and I'll talk about those. And one of the ways that he's important is that he kind of lives into the tradition and the spirit and the role of prophets of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Scriptures. And there's some really famous and really awesome prophets that he almost embodies or the narratives at least kind of give details saying, hey, you remember uh, Samuel, the, what he did? Or remember Elijah? Uh, remember uh, the words of Isaiah? Well, look, all that's happening here in this one person, John the Baptist, in the gospel story. And why that's important to us, you're probably asking before you tune out, is this is also Uh, something that we can see in ourselves. The ways that John the Baptist is like and the things that he does like the prophets of old, the roles that he plays, are also roles that we play. And so when we think about things that we're supposed to do, and you're making your New Year's resolutions, what to do in 2019 to uh, be a better person or whatever it is that you want to be, then we can think about the things that we're actually already doing and living into that same prophetic tradition in the Bible and continue doing them. And one of those things that we do, which I'm so thankful for Jasmine, uh, Godwin, and Eric, and Mike thank you, Mike Collins um, that, uh, that they led us this morning in worship is uh, it's just our singing, our anointing the Lord with our song. That's one of the things. To keep in mind that we do this morning every time we meet and on Sundays and then throughout the week as well. And then the other things that we do are speaking truth. Sometimes it's speaking truth to ourselves, kind of being honest, confessing and repenting. And the third thing is the way that we can imagine a new future that God will create and hope for that future. So this prophetic imagination. So those three elements are the things that we are already taking part in by gathering in places like this, and doing things like this, just like billions, others around the globe. I don't know, it's vacation week right now, so maybe it's more like millions, hundreds of millions. Um, but uh, they, everyone gathering is already doing these sorts of things. And then uh, the, the thing that's one of my favorite elements of our gathering, uh, and not just because it's food, but yes, it, because it's food, is uh, is the Lord's Supper, and we participate in that at the the close of the service. And that is a prophetic proclamation of the Lord's work in Jesus and the Lord's continued work in us through the Spirit. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into uh, the text and look at this guy, John the Baptist, and look at ourselves as well in light of him. Heavenly Father, uh, Holy Spirit, and... um, Our King Jesus, we thank you for gathering us here this morning. We know that you're the one who woke us up. As that song says, your love awakens us, but also you just pulled us out of bed this morning. You got us dressed. You brought us here. Something about your spirit compelling us said, this is where you should be today. And so, in light of that, and um, because we know that you are alive and active And you are activating and enlivening us, us. we ask you to uh, animate this time together. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and may the uh, meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my lips be pleasing and acceptable to you. Amen. Amen. So John the Baptist, he is a powerful figure in the gospel narratives. All four of the gospels talk uh, heavily about him, most of them right at the outset, Matthew's the only one that waits until chapter 3 because he first deals with the Christmas story, which is a good thing to deal with. And uh, Luke, even before he gets to Jesus' birth, talks about John the Baptist's birth and how it will come. And then Mark, the very first verse, is actually jumping toward John the Baptist. And so this guy's pretty important just in terms of priority in the narrative. He's also the only other person whose birth was announced. In Luke, as I said, he fulfills multiple Old Testament prophecies uh, from Isaiah, potentially Exodus 23, which is a way back one, and then also the most recent book or the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, really how the Old Testament ends in our Bibles is it's kind of saying there's someone who's going to come prepare the way for the Lord, and we know that to be John the Baptist. He starts, uh, Jesus starts his public ministry with his baptism by John. And then he also kind of gets on the move and starts proclaiming the kingdom of God in Matthew's narrative right after John is arrested. And so there's something about John being arrested that says, hey, Jesus, it's go time. The uh, death of John also causes Jesus to withdraw, to isolate himself into a deserted wilderness place. Like the place where John had been, he needed to get away didn't work out for Jesus. Crowds followed him there to that deserted place, just like crowds had followed John to his deserted place as well. And Jesus, when talking about John the Baptist, says that he is the greatest human being to ever live. Pretty important. He also says that anyone in the kingdom of heaven um, in the body of Christ is even greater than John, so good for you. And when Jesus is questioned about his authority, Whose authority does he tie it to? But John the Baptist, he says, where was his baptism from? From heaven or from human origin? And uh, the people who are questioning him wouldn't answer because they were afraid of the crowd because all of the crowd regarded John as a prophet, as Jesus says he was, and more than a prophet. Then, all the way into Acts, Acts, which is the second part of Luke, actually, is about the apostles. It's after Jesus, and he ascends in the beginning of Acts. But John still plays a role. When they're selecting Judas's replacement, after he had gone, the uh, apostles say, Okay, who can be the one, the twelfth of our group, to, uh, to fill that seat? And twelve, obviously, being an important biblical number. Twelve tribes of Israel, twelve apostles. Well, one of the criteria, one of the prerequisites, they had to have been with them since the days of John. Why would they say that if he wasn't a pretty important figure? And then when they're going far and wide in the Mediterranean world, they keep encountering people who knew about John's baptism but hadn't yet heard about Jesus' baptism. Because his message and his disciples had gone far and wide, just as Jesus' did today. So we uh, see that John was important. But what was his real role that just kind of says, yeah, he had a lot of notoriety, and the, the gospel writers thought it was important to continually mention him, but how did they talk about him? Well, Luke actually gives a really good account of it in um, the announcement from Gabriel to John's father, Zechariah. So I'll read that and... This is from Luke chapter 1. I'm going to be bouncing around quite a bit. I'm sorry if you really like to follow along. You can open up to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and find where it talks about John the Baptist and some of the details will be included if you need something to look at while we're going or you can fill out the things that I say. So, Luke says, or Gabriel says to Zechariah in verse 13, Your wife Elizabeth will give birth to a son and you will name him John. He'll be a joy and delight to you and he, many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the Lord's eyes. He should not drink wine or liquor. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even before his birth, he will be. He'll bring many Israelites back to the Lord, their God. And he will go forth before the Lord, equipped with the spirit and power of Elijah, that great prophet of old. He will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, and turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make a a people prepared for the Lord. This was stunning to Zechariah. He didn't believe it, so he was rendered speechless. Finally, after John was born, he himself prophesied by the Holy Spirit, saying, among other things, specifically to John, you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. You will tell his people how to be saved through the forgiveness of their sins. So he's called a prophet, one in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah, like I said, being one of the greatest prophets of old. And what does it even mean to be a prophet, though? Many of us think prophet is um, it's one who predicts the future. And that's not wrong. And as James would say, it's not less than that. Foretelling was a role of prophets in the Bible. And it is a role in some ways today. But uh, more so, it's foretelling is one of the ways that prophets speak, which means speaking truth to those who need to hear it. And then uh, a couple of other roles as well. Samuel and John the Baptist share the role of anointing the king. Elijah and John the Baptist both call people to repentance and Isaiah and John the Baptist both proclaim God's promises for the coming kingdom. So you can write those in here. Fill in the blanks, get that out of the way if you want, and then you don't have to use that anymore. But the, um, the one that we'll start with is Samuel. As I'm going to compare John to three different people. And remember, as we're comparing John to these three different prophets of old, we're actually going to be trying to see ourselves in light of that. And so how are we living into that same role? There are a few narrative details that I'll mention that just kind of helps the reader see, oh yeah, when I look at Samuel's birth and John's birth, yeah, there's a lot of similarities there. And that's one of the ways that you say, okay, John the Baptist, he's going to be a figure like Samuel. It'd be like if someone came in here wearing a Darth Vader mask, he'd be like, oh, they're probably not on the light side, (laughs) although it's complicated with him. You just you have this kind of resemblance that's happening. Not saying they're the same person, although it's confusing with Elijah because it is said that he is Elijah to come. I don't understand that. Don't ask me. But we'll we'll talk about Samuel first. So they both had special births. Hannah, Samuel's mother, in uh, First King or sorry, First Samuel. You can read about her. She was thought to be barren, and then she prayed for a son. She said, "Lord, if you give me a son, I'll dedicate him to the Lord." Dedicate him to you. He'll be in your service for all all his life. And uh, likewise, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they didn't have a son. They wanted a son. And so they were thought to be barren as well, which was shameful in their time. And then the good news happened to them that they would have a son. But it wasn't up to them to say, and we will dedicate him to the Lord. It was, and he will be dedicated to the Lord. And so they both had this child who would be given over to God's work. And they were both told that um, he would go by the Spirit and that they would be the ones to prepare the way, in a sense. Whereas Samuel anointed David. Before him, Saul didn't work out so well. But David, the one who ended up having an uh, eternal covenant with God of being the king, or his descendants being the king of Israel, the true king of Israel. That's why Jesus is called the son of David, Samuel had that role. He anointed David, among other things. John had the role of baptizing Jesus, which was a sort of anointment for him as well. Anointing, if you don't know it, you take some oil in a horn. I don't have a horn. I have a water bottle. And you, you pour it on someone's head, and then it drips all over their head, and comes over their beard if they have one. And, um, and then they smell of that oil if it has a scent. And, and then you know that person. Is anointed. And that's what Messiah actually means. And That's what Christ means as well, is anointed one. So, a little fun fact for you. Full of those. So, this is the, the role of Samuel. But Samuel, uh, in addition to being the one who anointed the king, and John the Baptist, in addition to being the one who baptized Jesus, also they played the role of kind of like leading people in worship. Every time that Samuel would come to a town, it seemed like when you read about him in the Samuel narratives, he would go up on the hill and he would sacrifice an animal. Sorry, Rachel. And he would... Uh, any vegans out there, I'm sorry. This is the Bible. Um, the wood that he would burn and then he would make it a big barbecue feast there and uh, it was delicious. And it was a way that people were able to gather because they didn't actually eat meat that much back then. But when they smelled this... And when they saw it happen, they knew this was a time when we're gathering in the Lord's name to worship, and so they worship through feasting like we do. Fortunately, ours are uh, vegan options. Um, The uh, way that John the Baptist did it—it was a little bit simpler. It was just calling his people to, in a sense, wear sackcloth and ashes of mourning, because in the time that they lived, it wasn't necessarily a good time for the Israelites. They were under Roman captivity. And under Roman rule, and it was um, tough for many of them. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But he called his people to uh, fast, and to not drink, and not party. That's why his disciples ask, well, why, do, why do we fast, and you guys party? And you can read more about that later, why Jesus is the party guy. It's a good thing. So, they're both worship leaders in a certain way. And in this same vein... We live into that, acknowledging, anointing, acclaiming the true king with anthems and applause. And our worship is really important, formative work. The spirit trains our hearts and our souls, our bodies, our minds through song. Knowing, believing is one thing, but acknowledging, turning that knowledge into action through proclaiming it in in your voice, in your song, in your body, lifting your hands up. This is another. And so we act as if we believe that God is, that Jesus is the king when we say it in song. And so we are the witnesses to our king on the earth. Let's let our songs say such in uh, 2019. There's your New Year's resolution. Sing more. And uh, it helps to be here when the service starts, if you want to say more, but no guilt. I'm saying prepare the way for the Lord, and one of the ways we do that is by proclaiming Jesus is Lord, and we only do that, Paul says in First Corinthians, by the Spirit. Only someone can say that by the Holy Spirit, and faith, it turns out, is a gift, not necessarily that you work to attain and achieve, but something that's given to you and meant to be practiced. Secondly, Elijah. Elijah and John, there's so much to be said there, and there's the most similarities there. And it's hard because I, I love them both a lot. I loved John so much that when I was uh, in high school, I actually dressed up as him, or a modern-day version of him, for Halloween. I couldn't get a hold of camel hair on Catalina Island, but I did um, wear simple clothes. And I didn't have locusts and wild honey. I just had dried berries. But either way, I was John the Baptist. Yeah. So I... Uh, I love John the Baptist, and Elijah's a crazy guy. Anyone go to Hume Lake a few years ago, and Elijah was the story, and um, he was played by a dog named Bingo, and that was odd, but he was uh, a bad um, guy. He was really good, but in uh, in wild ways, uncontrollable ways, untamable ways. So their dress was funny, camel hair and a leather belt. Both of them wore this. When John is described that way, you should look at 2 Kings chapter 1 and see when Elijah is described that way and how he is depicted in that scene. Go to it. 2 Kings chapter 1. Read that. Read what he does to 50 soldiers raining fire down from heaven on them. And then again to 50 more soldiers. And then the third time, finally, they say, please, don't kill us. It's in the Bible. And then the, uh, the way that they eat, like I said, John the Baptist ate locusts and honey. And what's interesting about locusts and honey? It sounds delicious, right? Uh, it's not vegan, but it is, um, a, in a sense, something that you can consume but remain outside of the, uh, the government's food economy, you could call it. So the kings of the day, the rulers of the day, whether it was King Ahab in Elijah's time or uh, King Herod in... Just the emperor of Rome, who changed during John the Baptist's time, they controlled the movement of food, or at least they tried to, they attempted to, they thought they did. And to be outside of that meant that you stood in a place where you could be kind of exempted, have no conflict of interest if you spoke against certain aspects of the way that they ruled. And so when Elijah said to King Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say so. Well, he wouldn't be able to eat, but ravens fed him, and he drank from a brook. And then when that didn't work out anymore, the brook dried up, he went over and he lived with a foreign widow. And he he said to her, oh yeah, uh, give me some food, even though you're starving, give me some food, and then I'll help you eat as well. And her faithfulness uh, allowed her and her son to survive the famine. And then, again, when he's running away from Jezebel as she's trying to kill him, Uh, he's fed by angels in the desert. All of these remind us as well of the Israelites, the Hebrew people after they escaped from Egypt, uh, after they were released by God's great acts of power in the Exodus, and they went into the wilderness, what did they eat? What is this, is what manna actually means. It wasn't something that could be bought or sold. It wasn't something that the Pharaoh had control of. In this sense, it was something that they had to rely on God every day for this thing. And it taught them how to rely and in that way, it gave them a a new relationship with God and a new understanding of themselves. This uh, Elijah and John the Baptist being outside of the system, you could say, of their day, um, made them uh, trouble to the rulers of their day, and that's why Elijah is called you troubler of Israel by uh, King Ahab, and John the Baptist comes in the spirit of Elijah according to Malachi, and also according to Luke, who quotes Malachi really, and this is uh, said in Malachi chapter 4, it says, he will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents, what does this mean, and what does this look like, why is this even needed In their time. And how is this needed in our time? As we think about um, generational differences and, you know, all these young people, all they do is look at their phones, you know? Um, Well, I mean, I think there's a a posture of listening to each other, with each other, that um, comes not by our own power and strength, but by the grace of God. There's listening. And then there's also the, the empathy underlying that listening. This is where it says turning the hearts of parents to their children, turning the hearts of children to their parents so that um, even if the times are hard, that we're not divided by these hard things. And uh, even if the, uh, the stress is high and we just came out, I don't know if we're breathing a sigh of relief after uh, the, the holiday uh, period, which... I hope nobody had any stressful times, but I know, then um, we can say, do these times force us to become like when you're really hungry and you become hangry, you know, when you're not sleeping well because you have a newborn and you're like, ah, like, we've been very gracious with each other and we have to be. Um, and if this doesn't happen, it says, I will come and strike the land with a curse, And we don't want that. So uh, let us live into the spirit of Elijah and John. And speak truth. Speak truth about ourselves. Speak truth about our, um, our own sin that we've been entangled in. And then also, if it's appropriate, and if it's prayerful, with our friends as well. Speaking truth is something powerful that the prophets always have done and it might be something that seems pretty cool thing to do, but it has to be done carefully. There are still great prophets who speak great truths, and we're about to celebrate um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday in next month, and I have to say that I look to him, say, what does a prophet look like today? But not everyone's going to be that. And so I think that uh, it starts with us. We have to look at ourselves, and that's what he tried to do with, with his... Um, Movement as well. well. Say, we have to be nonviolent to counter the violence of those who are trying to stop us. So, uh, another thing that we look at is wilderness. They both spent time in the wilderness. As I mentioned, that's where they were fed. But wilderness is something else that allows us to gain clarity. God gives us the gift of being in the wild. And that doesn't have to be outdoors, although probably it's best to be outdoors in some times, in some ways, and away from a screen. But these places and these spaces where God can tell us truth about ourselves. Jesus went out into the wilderness baptized by God, or by, sorry, John the Baptist, not a God. And he's told by God through the Spirit that uh, you are my son and you, I am well pleased. That's where he hears this truth about himself. Now, he does also hear some uh, lies or attempted lies from the devil as he's tempted in the wilderness. Uh, if you are the Son of God, then this is what it looks like. This is what I think it looks like. So we have to be careful. Where do we hear God's voice? Well, the Scripture. And, uh, and that's why we open the Word together on Sunday morning and continue to rehearse and recite and um, play out that story that we read there. So if memorizing scripture is something you do, that's really good. I would also encourage you to consider looking at some of the big arcs of uh, of the stories and memorize the plot, the drama, as it unfolds in scripture. And then when you're um, just living out life, you can kind of like think about that. Oh, yeah. Like, I love the way that Star Wars moves from this to that, and then it kind of ends, and everyone's happy at the end. Well that's the story that we get caught up in the story of Scripture, that we know um, I mean, I think it kind of gets simplified a little bit there's a lot of complexity to it, but I'll just leave it at that I think that the um, one of the ways that we prepare the way for the Lord is by rehearsing reciting the stories of Scripture, and the last thing is through the poetry of the prophets, now most prophetic literature in the Old Testament, when it's uh, like the name of a prophet, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, these types, and all the minor prophets, most of it's poetry. There's a few exceptions, but why is it poetry? Well, there's something that poetry can do, kind of like the songs that we sing, that speak to our hearts and And speak to our conditions, our moods, the ways that we feel, in ways stronger than just prose can. And it can give words to lament. That's why the book of Lamentations exists in the Bible, among others. And also it can uh, give words of comfort. And that's what Isaiah 40 does. Isaiah 40 is where it said uh, that the way of the Lord will be prepared by this one coming. And we know this is John. John obviously had the words of Isaiah committed to memory, committed to heart, and he lived them. As he literally was the one out in the wilderness, in Isaiah 40, uh, verse 3, a voice crying out, Clear the way for the Lord. Make a level highway in the wilderness for our God. Well, for Isaiah's time, and, and the people first hearing these words, that probably meant coming back from Babylon. And they said, Oh yeah, this is impossible for us to come out of captivity back into our promised land. But you know what else was impossible? When God freed our people, our ancestors from slavery in Egypt and made a way where there was no way possible by parting the seas. So we know there is a way. And that way is Yahweh. That's cute, huh? Um, That that is the Lord. And the coming of the Lord. So um, when uh, Jesus actually... has some messengers from John come to him and they ask him, are you the one who's to come or should we look for another? So this is a little um, message from John the Baptist in prison. Jesus knows just what to say to John and he actually quotes from Isaiah. But he doesn't just quote from Isaiah. He says, look at what has happened and then I'll tell you um, what's going on and you can decide for yourself if this is the, um, the one who is to come. And he says, the blind can see, the deaf hear, the, the lepers are cleansed, the lame walk, and the good news is preached to the poor. And all of these things are from various places in Isaiah that John would have known, saying, this is what it looks like for when the king comes. There's another thing that we see in um, John that says, what will it look like? When the king comes. What can we anticipate. For when the kingdom is coming. Here on earth. As it is in heaven. And we already experience it. But I just want to point out. Um, when people were coming out to John. In the wilderness. He uh, obviously was preaching. And he's telling them that like. Bad things are happening. And they're like. Well what do we do? What do we do then? And he says. Well if you have two coats. Two coats give one away. If you have food, share it. This is simple, right? It encourages the people who had, because of the political climate of the day, most likely, because of the oppression that they were under, felt the need to hold tightly to the things that they had, to the food, the little food that they had. And then tax collectors even came out. And tax collectors are depicted in the gospel narratives as uh, not good friends. But To these who feel like, oh, it's normal, it's expected and accepted behavior for me to take more than I'm allotted. Well, he says, just take and be content with what you're allotted. And the soldiers who were also the law enforcement and everything of the day who could extort people, make them carry their bag, and uh, anything they wanted, really, because they also weren't paid very well by the emperor. He said, be content with your wages and don't harass anyone. And so while these were common practices, the things that he was speaking against, he was offering them an alternative. And this is the alternative that, um, that Isaiah had kind of proclaimed in his poetry, but he's proclaiming it in the lives of the people that come to him. And that's what we see today in our lives, in our community, is a new sense in which uh, there may be ways that we're expected to treat each other, and there may be ways that um, we're expected to look out for ourselves only and, and not necessarily uh, care for our brothers and sisters, and especially those who um, God most cares for, the ones who have been um, not taken care of. The, the expectation from society might be there for that. But really, the, uh, the imagination to say, but what if the lepers are cleansed today because of the way that God's movement uh, happens in this community. And I'm not saying lepers in the same way because we have modern medicine that does miraculous things, and I'm thankful for that. But there's other ways that people can be ostracized or or, or cast out of society, outcast, and and said that you don't belong here. And then what if the blind, those who cannot see, are carefully, slowly allowed to come to see and uh, receive their sight? And all the things that um, we imagine that the kingdom of heaven will look like, there'll be no tears anymore, all of these things happen through people like us, but not because of people like us. I want that to be clear. It's the spirit that enlivens and activates the prophets, and it's the spirit that enlivens and activates the church. So, as we come to a close, um, I'm going to look at one last verse. John chapter 3, verse 30. And it's in the context of John's baptizing on one side of the river. Jesus and his disciples are baptizing the other. And all the people are flocking to Jesus. I mean, we know why they're doing that. But the people who are by John are like, hey, come on. We've got to get the attendance up here. And he says, no, he must increase and I must decrease. So if I have a news, New Year's resolution for you, this is it. That Jesus must increase as the main actor in the story of our lives, and we decrease. And that doesn't diminish our role. We become witnesses rather than the ones who are primarily uh, responsible or necessarily um, the ones to give credit to for all of the good work that happens because of the Spirit's work. And when we recount the ministry and life of John the Baptist, we see he plays a really important role in the gospel story, but he only does insofar as he is activated by that Spirit. And he didn't even choose this role. It was chosen for him. I'm going to say that none of y'all really made the choice to be here today. It was chosen for you. And that's election theology. We could talk about that later. But it's something that Jesus has chosen us. And the gift of faith is for us. And so now we can come to the table together to celebrate that. And as we do that... Paul reminds us that in this act, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. And that is a way in which we are also making a prophetic proclamation that we have this truth that the um, yeah the bad news, Jesus died, but the good news, he rose again and he's coming back. And so that's what we celebrate at this table. Uh, we're actually uh, going to be singing a, a wonderful song at We enter into communion. It's uh, the Lord's Prayer in song form, and I'm grateful for that. And so, before we do that, I'm going to introduce communion in a little bit more of a traditional way, I guess you could say. And if while after we sing the first song, then you'll be invited to go receive the gifts there. So, the Lord Himself ordained this holy sacrament. He commanded his disciples to partake of the bread and the wine, emblems of his broken body and shed blood. This is his table. The feast is for his disciples. Let all those who have with true repentance forsaken their sins and have believed in Christ unto salvation, draw near and take these emblems and, by faith. Partake of the life of Jesus Christ to your soul's comfort and joy. Let us remember that it is the memorial of the death and passion of our Lord also a token of his coming again. Let us not forget that we are one at one table with the Lord.